welcome to the Les Represent podcast, the podcast about everything lesbian, lady, living, queer, and everything in that spectrum. Uh, today we have a super special guest. I'm so excited to be talking to her today, and we shall let her introduce herself. Hi, I'm Maggie Keenan-Bolger. Um, I am a theater practitioner, sex educator, performer type person. Um, I co-founded a company called Honest Accomplice Theater, and uh, I am uh, have, for the last uh, five years, been doing work with them. Uh, we do work with cis women and trans people, uh, mostly ensemble-based devising, which is a different sort of form of theater than what a lot of people have, uh, have heard about or know about. Um, and uh, we also have done projects like the Trans Literacy Project, which is a, a online-based video series that's uh, on YouTube and free for anyone who is interested to uh, see it. It's um, it's uh, basically a resource for folks who are either interested in learning more about uh, trans uh, issues and and lives and whatnot, uh, or for um, trans folks who are uh, excited to let other people do some of the educating for once who can sort of uh, hand the videos off to uh, to friends or family who might be in need of some of the education that uh, is contained in the videos themselves. That's amazing. That's actually, I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a really fun, it's created all by the, uh, the trans ensemble members in our uh, company. So it's made by trans people and sort of uh, is, you know, based around what the ways that they want to be represented and the ways that they, uh, you know, are interested in, uh, you know, sort of seeing themselves uh, via these sort of educational resources and also based off of, you know, like the questions that they get asked all the time and things that they want to have um, sort of out there uh, in the world. So it's a, it's a really, and we, we use a lot of humor and a lot of sort of uh, camp to, uh, to get those things across as well. That's actually really fantastic. I mean, there's, there's so much misinformation out there and there's so many people who would, there's fear mongers who will use people's fear of things to just spread so much awful stuff like all the time like the whole bathroom laws that are going on right now are so oh, dumb oh my gosh yeah and it's yeah. just it's ridiculous one of the points, oh, yeah go one ahead. of the points we make in one of the videos is that um is that you know <laughs> the likelihood of a of a trans person you know murdering someone in the bathroom or, or doing something, you know, horrible to someone in a bathroom is actually way smaller than the likelihood of something bad happening to a trans person in a bathroom. Like the, you know, the, the fear there actually is way more on trans people than it is on cis people in that situation. So. Someone's Pop-Tarts already. <laughs> Did you get the little thing? <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's okay. We'll we'll just pretend it was a light bulb going off. <laughs> That's right. It was a great a, idea. An idea. <laughs> so, wow, that's really fantastic. How long have you guys been making those videos? It's just been with 
the theater group or is it just yeah, something that's yeah. been recently? So we've been doing it the past uh, probably two or three years. So how many videos do you guys have out? Uh, so there are either five or six up on the uh, up on the site right now. Um, and we've got three that are in production. Um, and then uh, we are sort of constantly sort of sourcing ideas and, and whatnot. Um, and we also tour around and do sort of educational sessions for um, different companies and colleges and whatnot. We have one with USA Today. Uh, at the end of March, we've done Whoa. one with the like creators of the of Candy Crush. Um, we went to their offices and did a info session with them, uh, as well as uh, you know the athletics department uh, at um, Hunter College. Like it's a really interesting uh, experience to be able to sort of go into different communities and uh, preview the the videos and uh, then be able to talk about them afterwards. Wow, you guys are doing a lot. So when you go into one of these companies, what exactly do you guys talk about? Like, if, like if you want to give us a rough overview yeah. of what issue you guys discuss. So we show the videos, which tend to, uh, so we show sort of the 101 series that we have, which is a series of, I think, three different videos. And um, it talks about sort of gender identity, which addresses like different labels and things like that. It talks about gender and the body. It talks about, uh, let me pull up because I'm blanky on what the third one is. One second. In the meantime, Will, I think Natasha would like you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we, the, so the first one is pronouns and language. And then the second video that we have is uh, gender expression and the physical body. And then the third video is uh, all about labels. So we preview those to the companies that we go to. And then we basically open it up for questions. And depending on where we are, you know, we've done some talks at like LGBT centers where a number of the folks there are trans identified. And so obviously the questions there might be very different from going into um a corporation or something like that where they're they haven't had a whole lot of of education about gender or whatnot but like you know one of the questions that stood out to me at least is um one of the people uh asked why why do we need all of these like labels and identities and things like that like couldn't we just live in a world where like gender isn't such a big deal like it seems like you know these videos and things like that it's making gender such a huge deal and um how did you answer that question? well luckily our our educators are dynamite and uh basically we're like you know in an ideal world, yes, we would love to live in a world where like we could exist and not have to like constantly define and redefine our identities. But unfortunately, that's not the world we live in. Where like gender is so infused in how we look at everything in our world and how we like how our schools are set up, how our prisons are set up, how, you know, uh, you know, our, our bathrooms are set up, things like that, where if we don't 
use these labels to define ourselves, if we don't basically take control of how we are defined, then other people will define us instead. And so we have to sort of take control of how we're defined within this world, even though like, yes, in an ideal world, this wouldn't be an issue. Uh, in order to have some like agency, we have to, uh, you know, we have to work within these sort of constructs. And so, uh, and so this is how we, how we do it without feeling like we're constantly being misgendered or constantly being, you know, uh, defined by other people. So that is a beautiful answer. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I can, I can, see how that person asked that question and it was like an innocent question to them like they weren't saying it like well actually I don't know I wasn't there but I can see how that could be taken as an innocent no I think it was it was truly a genuine like and I think this person like wanted the best for like the world and for you know everyone who was who was there but just hadn't really thought about the notion of like just how ingrained gender is in our society because they didn't have to deal with, you know, defining and redefining their gender within the binary constantly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, I think that's the biggest thing is that a lot of people have never thought about it. We hear all the time. Why do you guys need a pride? Yeah. yeah exactly. Why, why do you guys need to have gay people on TV? And it's just because they've never thought about it. They've never had, to fight yeah. for that. They've never had to deal with those ideas. And it's just, I mean, it, it's good that it was an innocent question. Like I just, I couldn't imagine going into a corporate setting where most of the people there are probably very straight laced and just talk about these things. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. It's good that that companies are realizing that they have to be inclusive. Yeah. They have to, you know, they have to learn about these things. They can't just, function like machines and not think about the people. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why these sorts of opportunities are really important because we're able to pay trans people <laughs> to do the emotional labor that oftentimes they're expected to do without any sort of compensation where like, you know, these are corporations that are, you know, have plenty of money <laughs> and so they can bring us in and they can, you know, basically compensate uh you know our trans educators to sit in front of you know folks who do have legitimate questions that they might not have a place to ask otherwise and these are folks who are like genuinely interested in being educators who have like volunteered for this position essentially and who have worked with us for a while and sort of know what they're what they're signing up for um and who want like who, who want to make a better world for themselves and for other people and I think who understand that gender liberation is useful for everyone absolutely <laughs> it's uh you know it, it's not just trans people who benefit from from defying gender norms it's it's everyone so um so yeah these sort of like situations are great because uh trans folks can actually get financially compensated for work that they're often expected to do for free 
I'm so glad to hear you guys get paid for this. I don't know why I expect I like had the assumption that you would go into a giant ass company like Candy Crush <laughs> and do that stuff for free. Like I, I don't know why it didn't occur to me. But I'm super glad that you guys are getting paid. You guys deserve to get paid. Yeah, yeah, we think so too. <laughs> <laughs> so. When we first started talking, you said you did a specific type of theater that people wouldn't often associate with theater. Yeah. I forgot the word Divide theater. <laughs> yeah. Please educate me. Because <laughs> so I'm also confused. Yeah. Basically what that means is that we don't start out with any sort of script. We start out with an ensemble of people. So for the show that we're working on now, we have an ensemble of 13 people. Uh, they're uh, all cis women and trans people ages 20 to 70 from a variety of different backgrounds. And we basically work with them to uh, create material. And so we'll give them different prompts. We use, uh, in this case, uh, we're using uh, text that was generated from interviews. Um, we use, uh, you know, articles that we find, things like that. And then they generate tiny scenes, tiny moments, things, uh, things of that sort based off of these prompts. Um, and then my uh, co-directors and I will be like, okay, you know, that moment was really interesting. And like, we're gonna, you know, try and sort of uh, create a scene around that moment or like, it seems like that moment was a little bit problematic, like, who we might want to rethink what we're saying there or like, you know, this one, uh, it seems like this one is, is a little bit redundant. We're seeing this in the other scene. And so it's sort of a matter of like, uh, editing a lot of, uh, a lot of material. Um, and eventually we sort of create characters within that and it turns into a show in the case of the show that I'm working on now, which is called Engineers Not Found, Error 404, Engineers Not Found, um, we're working with a sort of different and new form of this. Uh, we're working with Kristen Rose Kelly, who's a, um, a, uh, who does mostly documentary theater work and so has done interviews with a number of different uh, engineers, cis women and trans people who are engineers. And she's using, we use some of the text within the show. So we have some characters who do sort of direct verbatim text. And then we use, have used some of the text as inspiration for characters who we're sort of devising off of. So it's a, a combination of, of devising and the uh, verbatim text. That sounds really complicated. Maybe I'm just like, <laughs> I'm a very visual person, so perhaps... I'm not grasping it. It sounds like you guys are doing skits, uh, but it has but it has a lot of it has a lot of creative work. In yeah. The so and I would say like skits that are then refined and re-rehearsed and like edited and sort of distilled into their like best parts, if that makes sense. And then like re-rehearsed and things until uh, they've come together into what will eventually be like a scripted show. I see. Mm -hmm. I see. Yes. Yeah. I got it. We got it. We got <laughs> it there. And yeah, that's, that sounds like a lot yes. of work. Is this, is this something you guys usually do? Is this what your theater group 
yeah. what did you guys do? Other so this well? is this has been our our main deal uh, from the get go, and I think one of the reasons why we think devising is so important is that it allows for the people who hold different minority identities to create roles that uh, they have control over. So it's not me and my co-director who were both cis white women. Uh, so it's not us writing roles for trans people or for people of color. It's essentially, uh, you know, people of color and trans people creating roles for themselves, um, which means that uh, we run into a lot less uh, trouble when it comes to like, you know, Rachel and I never have to speak for anybody because we're not creating a character for anybody. Uh, so we rely very heavily on our ensemble to, uh, you know, sort of be able to create and craft their own characters, which they do sort of both based on their own experience, although no one ends up playing themselves in any way, but they often play, you know, uh, characters who are based on, uh, elements of, of who they are and identities that they hold. Um, and it means that the, you know, it's the sort of thing where it's like 13 brains are better than one. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the things that they can come up with as a, as a sort of whole are much better than the things that my collaborator, Rachel Sullivan and I can come up with just the two of us um and it means a lot of negotiating and a lot of you know work and uh things like that and so our process is much longer than a traditional theater uh process is but um we definitely feel like it's worth the worth the extra time this sounds really amazing though that sounds like some that's that's some heavy character development that the actor gets to do yeah. themselves like that's so cool like I, just like the the creative experience they get from that is probably something that's going to be really valuable for them later because that's that's amazing yeah. like I don't know enough about theater but just the idea of just having to okay well here's a person you get to create this character you could do the research for this character I mean they're really getting to the role and expanding their view on life that's that's really yeah, amazing. and I think a lot of performers have often felt pigeonholed into certain uh, into certain sort of stock characters, and/or have felt like there weren't characters that they like fit into in the like realm of traditional theater. Um, where I know that like one of our uh, one of our performers who. Uh, is the host of the Transliteracy Project, started out with us and started out, uh, you know, emailing us and was like, you know, I would love to be your ASM. And um, we were like, that's amazing. We would love to have you. And uh, while we were in rehearsals, they were like reading in for the role of uh, some of the characters or some of the performers who weren't at rehearsal that day. And we were like, they're really good. Like... <laughs> why aren't they performing? Um, and then we had one of our performers had to drop out for a variety of reasons. And we were like, well, 
I think like this, like our ASM could probably step in and like take on this character. And we basically had this conversation with them. Their name is maybe Burke. Uh, and uh, we had a conversation with maybe, and we were like, so we don't want you to like, we don't want to push you into like anything you don't want to do, but it seems like when you are performing, like you definitely like come alive. You have a lot of charisma. And they were like, well, yeah, like I started this as a performer. I really love to perform. But when I came out as like a gender, there weren't any roles for me. So I just stopped performing. And we were like, well, Aww. you know, this is a character that you have control over. So if you're interested in starting up performing again, like we would love for you to take over this role um and they were like uh yeah cool and they did it and now they you know just booked an equity show and <laughs> you know and uh are doing brilliant amazing things so it's like just for a lot of the folks who we work with I think it's a matter of just like being able to open doors and offer opportunities that a lot of them uh have been denied for totally arbitrary reasons that have nothing to do with their talent, um, but have everything to do with like the weird uh, rules that have been put on who gets to perform in theater and, you know, who gets to play certain roles in theater. Right, absolutely. Well, what is, I'm sorry, I'm gonna be asking a lot of really, no dumb questions. Oh. <laughs> what's what's an what's an ASM? Oh, oh sorry, assistant stage manager. Yeah. Okay, okay, because I was like, that means <laughs> something important. I know it does. <laughs> yes, yes. Fantastic. You, you, I'm sorry. Just sometimes you have to talk no, to me like I'm five. Because <laughs> if you have that question, I'm sure you know most other people do as well. So, yes. Right. So, as as I've talked to other people before, there is that really heavy, that, that really heavy band on what can go on stage. Like I hear people talk all the time about, you know, oh, you know, they're, you're too fat, you're too skinny, yes. you're too tall, you're too butch, you're too whatever to go and mm -hmm. be a performer for certain things. So you, you guys basically have a ensemble, just a whole group where that does not yes. matter at all. Yeah. We're basically like, the qualifications for being in the ensemble are, uh, and it's fun because we have, you know, some of the folks in our ensemble are per professional performers. Some of the people are retired litigators and costume designers and folks who didn't think that they'd ever end up performing, but who are actually super dynamic on stage and who uh, are really passionate about, you know, the issues that we're performing or about sort of the community that we've created um, and so, you know, the, the qualifications for being a part of the ensemble are pretty much being able to work very collaboratively with the rest of the group, being uh, ready and willing to learn about different identities and experiences that are different from your own, and being excited to create new content and new material, and also being okay with, like, 90% of the material that you create being 
uh, thrown out uh, and 10% being used for the, you know, final production. Ah, I love production. It's fantastic. (laughs) Doing so much work and be like, you guys will see a couple of minutes of it. Yeah, oh yeah. You will see a couple of minutes of this. Yep. So how big is your is your group? Because I know you're doing a play right now with a 13-person ensemble, but how big is Well, we have a company. As of right now? So I would say, because we have two touring shows as well that uh, tour around uh, to colleges and whatnot, uh, and some of the cast and ensemble members are the same as who are in Engineers Not Found, um, and some are different. Um, and then we have all of our uh, folks who are in the transliteracy project, uh, who again, like there's definite overlap between all of those projects. Um, I would say in total, we probably have like 40 people who um, are with us, uh, you know, sort of working with us um, on one of those projects uh, at some point in time, so yeah. It's a it's a pretty big group, yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Whoa. So what so what made you guys want to start this? Like I, I guess tell us the origin yeah. story of your so theater group. So Rachel and I went to grad school together and we were in the very first graduating class of the very first applied theater program in the country. And applied theater uh, is essentially uh, using theater as a tool to educate, uh, activate, and facilitate. Um, and it takes many, many different forms. Uh, a lot of people use it in classrooms uh, as sort of an educational theater tool. Uh, if if uh, anyone knows, like, uh, Forum Theater or Boal, a Theater of the Oppressed, that is also sort of falls under the... Um, the umbrella of applied theater and uh, basically like any sort of theater for social change um, that sort of has the intent of uh, working with the participants to ask questions and to uh, address topics and, and whatnot that are important and relevant to who they're working with. Um, So Rachel and I graduated from that program and we did our thesis project together um, and enjoyed it. I mean, enjoyed it. And, you know, we were terribly stressed by it and, you know, all those good things, but ultimately had a really wonderful time working together. um, And so decided that we would do another project together. um, And which was called The Birds and the Bees Unabridged, which is a uh, show that we're still touring today, uh, which is a product about sexuality, cis women and trans people and sexuality. And uh, pretty much at that point, we were like, we should probably start a company if we're planning on sort of continuing to produce this work and continuing to tour it. Um, at which point we formed Honest Accomplice Theater, which is our theater company. Um, and then we produced our next show, which was Reconfigured, which was all about the body. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been doing episodes of the Transliteracy Project. And we also have a queer women and trans people in the performing arts Facebook group that we sort of monitor and do events for occasionally and um uh 
uh, now we're doing working on error 404 engineers not found with, you know, a million other tiny projects uh, in between. That's amazing. You guys are like really out there, like bringing the rep representation to. Yeah, that's our that's our hope. And it's, you know, it's I feel like of anything, it's what I'm passionate about and ex get excited about and am interested in and, and feel like has a certain degree of like transformative power through storytelling and empathy to get people engaged and excited to um you know look at look at the world a different way so absolutely and it's it's it sounds so much different coming from the horse's mouth so to speak <laughs> than it does than it does coming from I don't know do you see do you ever watch some of these programs where they like talk about gender and you feel like half of the people who wrote it were probably not a Yes, do not yes. fit did, didn't fit that they were just like that most of like 50 percent of the production crew was probably yeah not absolutely gay. and it just it just leaves this weird you know it's like it's like they're presenting the facts but it's like they're presenting it in a way that don't feel yeah. real almost like it, it that's or it's been toned down mm -hmm. or something absolutely yeah and that's one of our biggest like you know, we do our best to make sure that anytime we talk about or address any subject of like gender or sexuality or uh, race or ethnicity or, you know, any of those things that so we have people with those experiences present in the room. Like, it seems so basic. But I think, unfortunately, in our world, and especially in, like, the entertainment industry, uh, it's not at all. Like, that's that's not even a baseline. It's, it's so crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, they literally have entire television channels directed toward a demographic. And it's like the people who make that stuff don't even fit in that demographic. Yeah. And it's, it's it shows. It shows with how... It's affected us. And the people are like, well, it's just television. And it's like, well, you, we say it's just television, but seeing is believing. And it's and that's probably the entire reason that people think that, you know, when you get bit by a snake, you can just suck out the venom. Yeah. That is physically impossible. But there are people out there I will talk to that will think that that is 100% what you're supposed to do because they've seen it in so many Yes, movies. yes. And it's crazy. Well, and for... So many people, I think, the first time they're introduced to a gay person or a trans person is through television or through a movie. Oh, I yeah, yeah. Yes, and continue. And it's just yeah. Bad. Well, and certainly for like young people, like, and I know that this was true for me that like life rafts <laughs> were, you know, were representations in media for me and even as an adult where I'm like you know there's a reason why I am like wh why why don't like why the erpers are fighting so hard to keep Winona Earp uh you know in line for season four it's Absolutely. not it's not a coincidence that 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 is a situation that is happening it's because representation matters and because when people find representation 
that is meaningful and that speaks to them, it has an impact and validates them in a way that I think is not able to find, that you're not able to find in, a, you know, hardly any other place. And so, Absolutely. yeah, I think that it's so essential that the people behind making those representations have an idea of what they're doing, <laughs> you know, or at least have the lived experience of living that life. Like, it's... It's so yeah. crazy. It's so insane. And it's it's such a rampant problem that everyone likes to ignore. It's just, like, the misinformation and the misrepresentation and just, like, the bad... People don't understand how it's shaped our world to be able, if we see one image over and over and over again, we're going to think that it's yeah. real, even if, even if, you know, the, the back of your brain is like, oh, it's just right. fiction. Right. Well, and it's, yeah, it's, it's absolutely insane. You know, and it's why I think so many queer women are fighting against the, like, you know, the <laughs> killing off of all queer female characters at, you know, the oh end gosh, of television where it's like, <sighs> you know, to a certain extent, like, no, all of our characters don't need to live. But when they're all dying, like. <laughs> Literally. And like, they all just get shoved yeah. off screen. And it's like, what was the point of them exactly? Uh, it's. Yeah. And it's it's hard, I think, for someone who doesn't understand how much those characters are a lifeline for so many people and also like the only lifeline <laughs> where it's like if you're a heterosexual person you have so many characters to choose from on television like Absolutely. you can you know you can watch any television show any television show and find a character who you can relate to uh or at least you share if you're a white man there, the options are yeah endless. i'm so sorry i didn't mean no. to speak over you <laughs> I similarly go ahead. Um, so when and I think like you know these days we're incredibly lucky in that it's not just like one television show that we have, which was definitely the case for a while. But like, there's oh still God. only like a handful of shows where we get like really awesome queer women and like trans people are still like really fighting to get on screen in a legit way um absolutely where they're not a fucking yeah, yeah. joke mm -hmm. holy shit uh and so to have them systematically killed off may seem like a you know like a important quote-unquote important plot point for a you know for one particular show but it's really hard when trends aren't acknowledged. And I think that's why, like, Winona Earp, for example, has been so important is because, you know, Emily Andrus from the get-go has been like, I understand the trend and I am not going to, like, kill off your characters. Like, that's not something I'm interested in doing um, because I see and acknowledge what's been going on. <laughs> And know that it's important to listen to what you're saying in terms of what, like, the harm that this does to you as a community. And also to find, Absolutely. like, other interesting options. 
you know, like more creative storytelling where to a certain extent, like it just gets boring. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, this is a story that's been told like it's bad storytelling. So. And let, let's be real. They kill off these characters and the grieving process is hardly. Yeah. Touched. Oh yeah. Like it's supposed to, it's supposed to be impactful, but it's the show carries on so quickly over that. It's like, the gr- there's like barely any grieving it leaves the audience to do the grieving yeah. for the show and it's it's lazy and it's yep. boring yep yeah oh, we could we could get into this literally all day <laughs> but we are here to talk about you <laughs> so so tell me what what is your history with theater um i started doing theater when i was 5 uh essentially holy cow <laughs> essentially uh say that again I said, holy cow. <laughs> uh, my sister saw Sound of Music when she was five and decided that she wanted to do theater. And my sister was, was is uh, six years older than I am. And uh, I pretty much just wanted to do everything she did. And so when I turned five, my parents were kind of like, okay, like, if you want to, if you want to do theater, you can do theater. And so I did. I can't imagine the teacher to teach a whole bunch of five-year-olds to do theater. Yeah, it was, uh, community theater is a thoroughly underappreciated, uh, art form in our, in our world, because, yeah, it is no joke. Um, and, uh, yeah, I have not stopped doing it since. Holy cow, that's a long time to be doing anything. (laughs) Yeah. 30 like years? The only thing uh, yeah. mm-hmm. 30, yeah. Holy cow. I, the only th- I have not even been doing anything for 30 years. I just called myself out. But I was, I was going to make the joke that I've only been breathing for that long, but I can't even say that. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. That's a long time to be doing anything. That's amazing. <laughs> like, holy shit. Excuse me while I get over my astonishment. Holy cow. So you've, you've always loved theater, Yeah, right? and I mean, I've, it's interesting, because I've had, like, you know, obviously, my primary relationship with theater has been, like, appreciation, but I also, like, you know, when I moved to New York City, right after undergrad, I decided to, uh, you know, do sort of the traditional theater thing, and, like, audition, and, and things like that, but ran into the, uh, dilemma that we were talking about before of like constantly feeling like you know people were telling me you know I was too wasn't skinny enough or I wasn't fat enough or I wasn't tall enough or not short enough or you know not queer enough or not uh straight enough and like wow uh someone told you you're not queer yeah well because I you know I'm a pseudo femme presenting person and so it was like for the queer roles they wanted someone who was like you know someone who they could very much tell was a queer person uh oh my god it's kind of like I I am an actual person does this count for nothing like um (laughs) what like I would get it if the character was like very very butch yeah or whatever but it was like the whole you're not queer enough that sounds really yeah. bad. <laughs> yes. That's that's and awful. I think again comes from 
the people who are producing these projects having a very limited view of like what a queer person looks like where it's like yeah if you if you are approaching this with an eye of like I have this image in my mind of like a queer woman as someone who is a very specific type then yeah I'm not gonna look queer enough for you because it's so limiting like I don't understand the hypocrisy really like I don't it's like it's like when they step out of their comfort zone for a moment they act like cats (laughs) in the way that when you take cats to a new house they Mm -hmm. freak out like they move so very slowly they search for everything and it's like all of a sudden they don't ever since something is remotely different it's like they don't recognize each other yeah 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 mm-hmm because that's what happens to my cats. I put a new piece of furniture in the house and they all literally act like they've never even seen their sibling that they've been with since birth. They act like they've never seen yep. them before and they'll go crazy. And it's like, it's almost like people act like that. You go into their, they go into their, like, their comfort outside zone. of their comfort yep. zone. And suddenly they start to And other. they don't recognize anything. And they're just like, oh my God, this must be what it's, yes. Like, they'll have this idea, like, this is what it is. And it's like... You wouldn't think that in your comfort zone. Why are you thinking yeah. that here? Yep. I think I tried too hard with that cat analogy. I know. I feel you. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, fascinating experience. So it basically, like, I was going on a lot of auditions and things like that. And just, like, not thrilled with the parts that I was auditioning for and, like, feedback I was getting and things like that. And also, like, it's hard because a lot of the, like, the theater that you can do that you actually get paid for uh, is produced by cis white men. Uh, Surprise! (laughs) And a lot of the creative team is cis white men. Um, And uh, I think that, like, that's slowly changing and evolving but you know for my taste not nearly fast enough um while there were some projects that I would audition for that I was like super excited about you know nine out of ten that was not the case um and I got to a point where I was like you know if I'm if I'm doing theater (laughs) I want it to be and like not getting paid a lot to do theater I want it to be for something that is um, you want to do exactly for for fulfilling creative reasons um and I was lucky enough to have the applied theater program that I talked about before sort of float across my desk I was running birthday parties for uh for toddlers uh through a a really uh expensive gym and uh, was, like, at my desk and uh, sort of going through emails, and it popped up in one of my emails, and I was like, oh, this seems kind of exactly, like, what I want to do. And I went to the information session and was like, okay, like, this is interesting. And uh, I uh, auditioned for the program and was accepted and it turns out like it was yeah it was you know the best move that I could have 
possibly made. Um, and and that's your life that's right. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I think most importantly, I like found a community of people who were interested in doing the same kind of work that I was interested in doing. Whereas before I feel like I was sort of floating out there in the ether being like, I know what kind of work I want to do, but I don't know if anyone else wants to do it. And I don't really know how to do it. And so like, you know, and this very much sort of tethered me to both like a practice and to other people who were excited about it. So fantastic i'm so glad me too (laughs) like it's it sounds like you found your calling it might be too soon to say that but it sounds like you've you've really found something that you love to do and that's something you can be excited for i off maybe on the record maybe off the record i kind of want to know how you guys get paid but i feel like that is a dumb question to ask that's a really smart and important question actually um yeah, because I, I feel like, like, I would imagine it'd be, like, ticket sales, but then also it's, like, I don't, I don't know how anything yeah. works. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's hard. Um, the, uh, a lot of the funding that we get is through, uh, private donations, uh, and, uh, grant funding, so we're constantly applying for grants, often like just like two to three thousand dollar grants so it's a lot of time that goes in for what ends up being not a whole lot of money um we make it a point to pay our performers uh because artists our performers and our designers and whatnot because artists are consistently uh asked to volunteer their work which is a problem in the industry um Mm -hmm. and uh so we do pay them. We don't pay them nearly as much as uh, we would like to or as much as, like, you know, the time that they put in. Um, it's primarily through grants and private funding. And then we get uh, space grants uh, because space is actually, especially in New York City, our primary expense. So we get all of our yeah, <laughs> we get all of our rehearsal space donated to us uh, through a program uh, in the city. And then our performance space, we get through an organization that uh, provides free performance spaces to uh, performing arts companies uh, in New York. So that's amazing. Yeah. That's actually really good to hear because I was like, I don't know how anything <laughs> works. Yeah, it's. But like, wow, that's good to hear that such things yes, exist. Yes, and it means a lot of work has to go into like getting all of those things, which is tricky. And neither my partner, my my co-founder or I are paid any sort of salary, um, which is hard because we're both working the equivalent of a full-time job. Um and in, in New York, York yes, um, but uh, but we're able to at least pay our performers and our designers, um, and uh, you know, put up shows and whatnot. So, so yes. But wow, mm-hmm. you guys are really working your asses off for your dream, and that's fantastic. Thanks. thanks. Yes. Seriously, like, I'm so glad that they have programs like that because there are just so many things 
around the world that just like don't help I guess like there are intelligent words I'm trying to say there are so many things that work against us as a minority there are so many things that work against the arts oh, yeah. oh my god that's un that's unfortunate yeah. but just to hear that you guys have a lot of talent there it actually really surprises me that so much of the creative theater atmosphere in New York is well it shouldn't surprise me that it's straight white men I but I would have expected so so the mm -hmm. idea like the like that stereotype that floats around is that you know theaters for queer yeah. people yeah. so it surprises me that it's straight white men that do a lot of the productions but then again it's money <laughs> well and I would so. say it's cis white men more than straight Man, oh uh, yeah I put my foot so far in my <laughs> mouth holy crap yeah and <laughs> well I apologize to all of them I did not mean to assume <laughs> yeah I think that uh it's interesting because I do think that the theater in general is a very like queer friendly atmosphere um but I think that uh it's mostly like gay friendly like cis male gay friendly um and queer women oh. are are pretty underrepresented uh and trans folks are are extremely underrepresented um which is yeah, a shame absolutely um and so it's a it's an interesting uh yeah it's an interesting situation because i i do think a lot of people assume that that there are like certain standards that are that exist where like you know everyone should be allowed in theater and and making theater and um and I do think like money has a lot to do with it where you know there are plenty of statistics where it's like men cis men make more money than anybody else in our in our country and so if you get two cis men who are in a relationship and uh you know then they're making more money than two women who are in a relationship um and you know trans people are systematically sucks. underpaid uh so uh that's a you know a, a whole nother issue um and so it's kind of a whole yes, other podcast yes exactly that. um so uh so it i think you know especially in more mainstream theater uh you know yeah things go where where money is and so um while there is certainly, you know, exceptions to the rule, uh, for the most part, it is still pretty heavily a cis white male universe. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the day that they realize that their stuff is boring. <laughs> like, that's, that's rude as shit to say, I know, but it's just like, I'm waiting for the day that they realize that they've told all of their stories so many times and that it's okay to go to other stories. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay and it's exciting. I promise you. It can be very exciting. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so fun question yes. I have for you. When do you think was the first time that you realized queer is a thing? Um, I mean, it's interesting because I grew up uh, in a in a theater. theater atmosphere so <laughs> yes. it's kind of so it's yeah. kind of there yeah. like I don't remember queer ever not being a thing which is kind of amazing um I also grew up with an uncle who was you. gay yeah oh my gosh. uh I went to a summer camp from the age of seven where turns out and I didn't find out until I was like 13 but 
uh, it turned out that like most of my counselors there were queer women, um, which I was thrilled about uh, when I found out because I basically just wanted to be like them in all ways. And so the fact that they were queer made my being queer way easier. And yeah, so so I think I, I was very lucky in that uh, it was a part of my life. Yeah. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, mm-hmm. Pretty much from the get-go, it was a part of my life. Oh, that's mm-hmm. nice. That's so nice, because you hear people who, like, like me, <laughs> <laughs> who didn't, who saw it the first time from TV, and it was like, oh my god, I didn't know that yeah, was Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And that's good. That's, that's very interesting. So it was coming out very easy for you, since you were surrounded by it all the I time. I wish. Um... <laughs> I mean, uh, in some ways, I came out when I was 14, uh, which was very young, especially, you know, this was late 1990s. Um, And I was the only out queer person in my high school. And uh, I hate that. I was too. (laughs) And um, it was tricky where uh, I feel like religion played a big part in a lot of the lives of the people around me and so that also played a big part in their reactions to me being queer um and so I had a lot of well-meaning folks offering to save me and uh oh my god uh, I feel you. Things like that uh in ways that weren't necessarily um like hostile yeah well and it wasn't like hostile or or mean but it certainly wasn't welcome (laughs) and I also did a lot of having to like talk about how it wasn't a sin and like basically having to debate the bible and having to uh you know justify essentially just justify my existence uh you know from age 14 Oh, fantastic. Um, <laughs> and it was the sort of thing where, like, you know, I I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, I wish I had come out sooner. And I, there's a, a part of me that's like, mm, I wonder what would have happened if I had, like, waited a little bit. Because I think, not because I feel like, like being myself was a bad thing, but more that uh, I feel like there were no institutional supports during that time for me to be out and like certainly my school was not any help whatsoever if anything they were a hindrance where like we had a speaker who came to school at one point and during on Martin Luther King Day of all days you know was pretty much like if you believe homosexuality is a sin you should walk out right now or or isn't a sin if you believe homosexuality isn't a sin you should leave the room right now uh and I was talk about talk about reading the crowd wrong (laughs) well and I mean I think that uh most of the people in the room thought I did I was the only one though um what yeah because I think most of the people uh you know, most of the other people in my school thought that it was. And so it was, uh, yeah. (laughs) And in general, like the, you know, like there weren't any out teachers or anyone who I even knew would have been supportive, um, as a, you know, as an ally for LGBT students or anything like that. And so like, 
yeah, within this, like within my school system, there was just like no support whatsoever for out queer kids, which was a bummer. But luckily I went to the summer camp that I had talked about before. So like every summer I had a little respite where I got to go to like a, a, a little uh, gay haven. Uh, and it wasn't a specifically gay summer camp. There just happened to be a lot of gay people there. <laughs> um, and uh, it was m more than anything. It was like very accepting and very sort of like, we don't give a shit <laughs> about sexuality as a whole. And so I was able to uh, very much sort of like be myself there and be out and be and not have to constantly justify who I was in that environment, which definitely helped then going back into high school the next year. That's good. That's bullshit. <laughs> Them bringing people over to the school who talks about that yeah. crap. Yeah. Yeah. On Martin Luther King Day, too, Gosh. I was like, ugh. Like, don't they have, like, a set speaker that's supposed to come in on that day? You know, the one that doesn't... doesn't talk about religion yeah. <laughs> one that's there to talk about race yeah. the other issue come well, on well it's interesting because it was a it's a I was one of the few uh white kids in my school so I was one of 12 white kids ah. in a um predominantly black school and so in many ways I feel like I was very lucky to grow up in I grew up in inner city Detroit and in many ways I feel like I was very lucky because I got a social education that I think not a lot of white people get where I was very much minority uh, within my like neighborhood and school uh, growing up because I went to public schools uh, my whole life and was able to like, you know, feel pretty starkly what it's like to be the only one of, you know, who looks like me in a room and the only one who looks like me in a, you know, entire auditorium of people and, and whatnot. And I think that that's a thing that a lot of white people don't get to experience. And I think that having had experience, that uh, definitely is a reason why I do a lot of the work that I do now and why I'm passionate about a lot of the work that I do now. And also why I invested in talking about white privilege and, and things like that. And so, you know, in some ways, I think growing up in Detroit was amazing. Uh, in some ways, it was very hard. Um, so, a combination. I can um, believe it. But, yeah, yeah. I absolutely, I absolutely could not imagine that. I, I actually, god damn it, I live in, like, very, very, mm -hmm. very country Texas. So, if I see people, I'm <laughs> you surprised. You see anyone. <laughs> <laughs> but... If I see anyone that's not on Fort Langdon Moose, I'm very surprised. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I, I, I have to say that I unfortunately mm -hmm. don't have that experience. I, I do know what it's like to be the only lesbian in a graduating yes. class of, like, yeah. 90 people, mm -hmm. which is a very small school. Um, in fact, it, it amazed me how, like, while I was in school, there was, actually, there were two gay people. Mm -hmm. One of them was probably bi, but there was one, there was one mm -hmm. gay black kid, yeah. which, wow, double minority. Um, he was in uh -huh. theater, and he was also one of the cheerleaders. There was another black kid that was that, that was pretty much the same thing with him, but I had mm -hmm. a feeling that he was probably bisexual. Yeah. They were it. 
They were it in the whole school. The yeah. whole entire time I was in high school, they were it. And after I left high school, you know, you get you with people on Facebook, and I saw two more people that came out as gay, and I was like, <laughs> God damn it, we could have been friends. <laughs> but no, because when I think yeah, about it, we probably that's the unfortunate thing is it's like, oh yeah, gay. just because people are gay doesn't mean I'm gonna like them. <laughs> which is which is interesting how people are like, oh well, you're both gay, <laughs> like, you won't get along, and it's like, well, if you think about if you think about movie representation, that means that I am the only gay people. I'm like the token gay yes, person surrounded yeah. by straight people. So it's like what it's interesting how society has like these mm-hmm. very conflicting ideas of what it's like. Like, yep, I don't understand. The world is complicated. It's the base. <laughs> is the basis of everything. Correct. Everything is complicated. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. So you came out when you were fourteen, and that was that was Thanks. difficult. And I'm sorry to hear that. That that was difficult. And ugh, religious <laughs> conversations are absolutely are absolutely the worst because it's just layered upon layered yeah. upon layered with hypocrisy, and it's like they yeah. don't see it, and it's yep. crazy. Yeah, and it's it's yeah, it's one of those things where it's like you know to this day, I think that there are churches and communities, religious communities that are doing amazing good things for the world, but I. I'm also someone who is like, and I like had to swear to not be gay at my confirmation and like all these things where I'm like, I unfortunately like have been soured on religion uh, as a result of, uh, Uh, you know, my upbringing. And so it's like, it's one of those things where I'm like, if, if someone wants to convince me otherwise, like they're welcome to try, but like I am in the camp of, like, ultimately more harm than good, at least in my experience, so. I'm there, too. I'm there, too. But anyone, they, people can have what makes them sleep yeah. better at night. You know, I'm yeah. not going to tell anyone else that they shouldn't have it. I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to take that mm-hmm. comfort from anyone else. But when the thing that you're, you fundamentally believe in is telling you to yeah. hate other people, yeah. there's a problem. When, when the, like, maybe it's, that's not the, let's be real, it's not the religion, yeah. it's the person yeah. who's yeah, teaching exactly. it. Yep. <laughs> anyway, we could get into this conversation <laughs> all damn day, too. Crap. <laughs> so you're doing absolutely amazing work. That's really exciting. You're going to have to give me yeah, links to absolutely. those videos, because I, sure. I would like to watch some of them. Because I'm, like, I'm really scared to, like, look at things on the internet, because I'm not a super intelligent person like I couldn't tell uh-huh. you fake news from real news so I'm always afraid to like look up things on the internet because it's like is this right. real is this not yeah. is this satire yep I will not well, know yeah no I will share them with you uh, and you can rest assured that it is uh, 100% legit fantastic mm-hmm. so there were other questions I've had I got really I'm, like, keeping myself from, like, talking about religion because I'm, like, this is not that podcast. <laughs> Put it away, Erica. Put it away. <laughs> um, so do you have anything else to talk about? Um, anything that you would like to bring up? I mean, I guess just plug-wise, if uh, anyone listening is in New York City, uh, March 21st through 24th, and is excited about uh, maybe seeing some theater, 
uh, Engineers Not Found is going up at the Tank uh, in Manhattan. Um, and uh, you can go on brown paper tickets and just search Engineers Not Found, and there will be ticket links up. And uh, yeah, you can go ahead and buy tickets. They are on sale now and going fast. Uh, and you can. I wish I lived in New York. No, I know. <laughs> And you can find links to our uh, transliteracy videos on YouTube if you just search the Transliteracy Project or on our website, which is honestaccomplice.org. That's fantastic. We should probably get to the guest to guest oh, questions. Yeah, that's right. It sounds like sounds like we're almost wrapping it up, and I don't want to give people that impression. <laughs> don't leave, folks. Don't leave. Don't leave. <laughs> okay, so now the segment for the guest to guest question, mm -hmm. which is where the guest from my last podcast will ask my guests from this podcast to answer a question without knowing each other, without having any idea of each other's backgrounds. Just a really fun shot in the dark question. Mm -hmm. And this question came from Brie, mm -hmm. who, anyway, so her question is, ooh, this is a really good question. I'm sorry. I just remember <laughs> who it was. <laughs> okay. What do you feel is the difference between representation and tokenism, and how does it relate to your own experience consuming media and looking to be seen? Yeah, that's a big one. Um, and it's a good one. I think it actually has a lot to do with what we were talking about before of who is producing the media, um, where I think tokenism is often the result of uh, people within a ma my majority rep like identity sort of deciding they need someone in a minority to like plug in to a certain role or a certain, you know, whatever. Um, and then just sort of letting that be that uh, and giving it no more shape or purpose or whatever. And sort of leaving that person to exist sort of in, a, in, in that void. And I think representation is actually having people who hold those identities uh, creating those roles and developing them. And even like with the cooperation of the people who are playing them uh, or, you know, with the, with the um, help of, you know, they have sensitivity readers now who can, uh, who are people of different identities who can like, read through your scripts or whatnot and be like, here is some feedback I have about the trans characters in your show. Uh, you know, here's some feedback I have about the characters of color in your show and basically give you honest, direct feedback about like your characters and, and what's lacking or if you're falling into any like stereotypes or tropes or things like that, as opposed to tokenism, which I think is just sort of done for the like, to check a box. Yeah, for the for the having for having said you have done it. <laughs> so that you Absolutely. don't get called out by liberal media. Like <laughs> so that no one can say you didn't have a black person in your music video or so no one can say you didn't have a, you know, trans person in your queer group. Like it's uh yeah. Has it been developed with the people who you're representing? I think it's fine. That's a fantastic answer. Thank you. Because that's that's a really hard question. Like, we know that there's a difference, but, like, putting it into words is really hard. <laughs> like, how do I put this story? You're going to understand this. <laughs> okay. 
Absolutely. So what will be your question for our next guest? Ooh. Um, do, do, do. Uh, I feel like I'm always excited to hear about connections to characters that people have made. Uh, like if there is or has been, let's do both. So one, a connection to a character that you made as a kid or like a teenager um, that you saw some part of yourself in um, and then a character today uh, that you really appreciate, enjoy and see some part of yourself in and why. Ooh, that's really fun. <laughs> that's a really fun question. I'm gonna be excited to ask. I. Gosh, I need to check my schedule. I don't even know who my next guest is, but I'm going to be really excited for that question no matter who it goes to. That's fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. I learned a lot. Holy cow. I don't know. I, every time I have one of these shows and I talk to somebody, I'm like, wow, I knew nothing. How do I live through life knowing nothing? You do things like this and suddenly you know so much more. Holy cow. <laughs> Should reading this podcast teach Erica a thing? <laughs> I feel very self-centered if I did that, though. Well, you share it with the rest of us, so that's what's important. I mean... I, sharing is caring, that's right? That's right. <laughs> okay, so tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find your projects, because it sounds utterly amazing. Yes, uh, so honestaccomplice.org is the website for my theater company. Uh, we're also on Twitter and Instagram, uh, and our handles there are, I am looking it up, uh, honestacom, A-C-C-O-M-T-H-T-R, uh, and that's on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I am also on uh, Instagram and Twitter myself, and Keenan B, uh, and uh yeah, I think that's uh, that's all of them. That's fantastic. That, but wow, you guys do like a lot. Like, I don't know if anyone <laughs> thanks you history. on a regular basis for what you guys do, but damn, I'm glad that you guys do that. Oh, well, thank you. Even if I never get to see any of your performances, <laughs> which will be a shame on my life. Maybe but... we'll get to tour to Texas at some point. Uh, oh my gosh, if you do, you let me know. We'll do, I will we'll drive do. the distance. <laughs> I will drive the distance. But like, if you guys have any performances that are recorded, yeah. that will also be fantastic. I'd love to see them. Awesome. 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 Okay, well, again, 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 thank you so much for coming on, and thank you so much for everything you do. Of course. Thank you for, uh, for uh, having me here. I appreciate it taking the time to make time out of your day for this. Sure thing. Have a good one. You too. All right. Bye.